Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, inspiring people and places. I am excited to welcome our next guest, Scott Lowe. Scott Lowe is a principal with Troner Consulting Services and began his career in the U.S. Navy. I'm sure we'll dig into that in our career path discussion. His expertise lies in the areas of construction, claim preparation, and evaluation, critical path method scheduling, spec writing, and training. Scott is a nationally renowned speaker conducting seminars and is a co-author of three highly regarded books on construction delays. He has provided expert witness testimony before the American Arbitration Association, the Civ- Civilian Board of Contract Appeals, in court, and in other forms of dispute resolution. Scott Lowe, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, your expertise and your resume speak for themselves, uh, but our friend Matt Handel reintroduced us, uh, and I'm so glad he did. First part of the show, we really talk about your career path and how you became this nationally renowned expert. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm going on a limb to say you wrote the book on construction delays. I like uh, to think of it that way, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think you started out in the Navy nuke. Am I right? I did. I did. I um, So getting my engineering degree at Northwestern and uh, I was, uh, they were paying for it. The Navy was paying for my uh, college degree, which- God was, love Uncle Sam. God love Uncle Sam. Yeah, it was a nice start, uh, which means I ended, you know, into college with no debt, but it also meant that I ended up with an obligation to the U.S. Navy, which turned out to be great for me. Uh, I think everybody at the time, this would have been in the late 70s, was pretty sure that uh, being part of the military was a terrible idea, but it actually was great. It was wonderful. I did a lot of fun things and I learned a lot and that was, you know, kind of cool for me. So I ended up as a nuke, a uh, Navy nuke means I had an interview with Admiral Rickover and I was, went through Nuka Power School and I ended up on a submarine and, um, you know, I did my four years basically. You, you saw the world, you saw the world as the recruiters say. Yeah, although to be perfectly honest, my submarine was in overhaul and uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire for uh, the entire time that I was on it. So I, I really didn't spend much more than a month or two at sea, um, which to, at the end of the day was probably fine with me. But uh, I, it was fun to be in overhaul. I learned a lot there. And, you know, taking a nuclear powered submarine through overhaul is is quite an ordeal. So that's, that's still where that mission stands. I think there's a lot going on in, uh, on the facilities and installation side up at Portsmouth. Yeah, there is. And matter of fact, uh, I have a really good friend who lives in the area. She's a historic preservation consultant and they're sort of documenting all the old buildings that, uh, are on that base. It's a, it's an amazing base really. And it's been there, I'm sure since colonial times, uh, yeah. I think they built, you know, the constitution there and John Paul Jones lived in New Ports in New Hampshire. And, you know, it's, it's a very historic place, but yeah, they're doing a lot of work. So how did you go right to Toronto from your four years and, and your transition was your transition just, Hey, my obligation's up. I'm ready for something new. Talk to us about that. Yeah, that was exactly how it works. As a matter of fact, the Navy, you know, it's, 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 
since security is such a big deal on a Navy base, when you turn in your, your, your access, your card, you just walk out the door of the summary and you never come back. You're gone. Uh, you're gone. And, you know, I had always had something to do. You know, I had been going to high school and going to college and then I go to the Navy and I just kind of did what I was supposed to do. And here I'm at the end of my Navy career and I don't have a job. And uh, now what? Right. So I um, I ended up taking this job with this company, Troner Consult. At the time, it's called TJ Troner Associates. And I didn't you know. I think the interesting thing about this job opportunity was I had been interviewing for like a facilities kind of job. Like I was going to work in the facilities department at a college or university or something like that. And um, I interviewed with this Tron company and they talked about what they did. I had no idea what they did. It was, <laughs> I had never heard of it. I didn't know anybody did that for a living. I, I had no idea, but it was kind of like love at first sight. I knew it was the job for me. I just knew it. And so I talked my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, to move to Philadelphia and take a job with this company. And it really, it was, it's, it's always been a great job. So un, unlike a lot of people that uh, from, you know, my past, I've worked at the same place my entire career. That's Other, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Um, and at some point, it, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know if you remember this ad that used to run for Remington Razors, that the owner of the company gets, uh, you know, is just standing there in front of the camera. He says, you know, I love the razor so much I bought the company. That's kind of the experience here. I loved being a claims consultant so much that I bought the company. So talk to us about that. I, well, first of all, uh, Ted Troner was the founder. That's exactly. And is that is that who you interviewed with? I did. I, I, I he flew me up. Uh, you know, he used a recruiter at the time. I still think these kinds of recruiters are around. They kind of specialize in placing junior military officers. Yeah. So that was kind of, and he himself was a West Point grad, and uh, he got hooked up with this recruiter, and uh, they sent me up, and it was a great interview. It went great. Um, and, uh, I got a job offer almost immediately and this was in the mid eighties. So, you know, jobs weren't exactly super, you know, they weren't everywhere. Um, so it was great. It was great for me. So mid eighties, you join the firm. At what point in time do you start thinking, or does somebody come to you about the potential to, to buy into the firm or buy the firm? You know, rough numbers, rough numbers, uh, Probably within five to seven years. Okay. So I advanced pretty fast at Troner. Um, and in 92, I think, Ted offered stock for me to buy. Uh, and actually, we talked a little bit about me just buying the whole place. It was really too early in my career to do that. But we talked about it. Um, and then over the years, I bought more and more stock until... Uh, Probably it was 2009 when a business partner of mine and I bought Ted out fully. Gotcha. Um, do you have any lessons learned in that time period that you, you can share or any stories about how you yeah. evaluated that decision? Hey, no question. So I, uh, and it's kind of the same thing as kind of the love at first sight kind of experience. I, so Ted 
comes to me with this stockholders agreement for me to start buying stock. Um, and I'd been working for the company for seven years. So I'm 30, 32, <laughs> something like that. I'm a kid, really. And uh, I had no idea that, that, that how you went about buying companies or buying stock or anything like that. So I hired an attorney and I took the agreement to the attorney. The attorney took a look at agreement and he said to me, you know what? You shouldn't sign this thing and you shouldn't buy into this company. This is a terrible deal. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, why do you say that? And he went through all the reasons why he thought it was a terrible deal. And, and I, it was just wrong. He was just plain wrong. And the reason he was wrong is because he didn't know the business. He didn't know what I knew. He didn't know how good I was at what I did. He knew nothing about right. me. Uh, and he knew nothing about our business. So at the end of the day, the expert was wrong. Now, interestingly, from my perspective, I kind of sell my expertise. So it's, it's hard for me to say that. But at the end of the day, I'm glad I ignored him. Yeah. I just completely ignored him. I signed it more or less the way the agreement was written, and it turned out for me to be a great deal. Because the other part of this is you got to trust the person that you're signing the agreement with because the paper's kind of unenforceable in that situation in the sense that I would have had to go buy, a, a you know, hire an attorney and spend a lot of money to win a case. And it was just, it just never happened like that. The relationship right. was really important. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, is the most important part. The paper is... The paper's the paper. It's relevant, but um, so you got to trust. So I, I, one, one perspective is that you know a lot of a lot of professional services firms. It's hard for you to see the innate value if you're not inside of it, right? So the, that attorney might be looking and saying, "Like you're not buying anything here. You're you're buying the opportunity to go grow something in somebody else's platform." But there's no there's no intrinsic value here. There's nothing. So here. to your point, there to your point, you're basically saying making the bet on yourself. They're like, "No, I know who I am. I know what I am, and I know what the platform is and how it's established." So I'm I'm buying into the future upside of of exactly. the revenue and the cash flow. That's exactly right. I'm also buying my future. I like I'm buying right. This I'm buying control of my life. And I want to yeah. do it here in this place and you know, this is my way of guaranteeing that. Yeah, you you removed a risk of somebody quote firing you. Right. Somebody you, else somebody else coming in and buying and getting rid of you. Right. Exactly. Um, right. Which is remember at the very beginning you said did I start with Troner? Yeah, I started with TJ Troner Associates. It's right. now Troner Consulting Services. And what happened is two years into working for TJ Troner Associates, Ted and his business partner at the time sort of went their separate ways. And Ted was not the majority stockholder. So Ted was out the door. Hmm. Uh, this is also where I learned that the assets of a consulting firm go up and down the elevator every single day. And what happened is slowly but surely, as Ted's business grew and his business partner shrunk, the employees that were working at the old firm went down the elevator one day and came, went up another elevator and started working for Ted. And that's kind of how it happened because, you know, people are buying expertise. They're not really buying, they're not buying much else than that, particularly in our business. So that's why I say all the time, our people are our brand. Exactly right. Like, right. They're not, they're, the brand isn't the brand. Our people are our brand. Exactly right. Um, exactly right. So that's one of those, like, you know, again, it's one of those lessons learned that in a consulting firm, the assets are the people. And, you know, if you look at it any other way, you're wrong. 
So two follow-up questions. What did you see in Ted and what did Ted see in you from your perspective now looking back, you know, 25, 30 years later? Well, lots of Ted is uh, Ted is and was uh, a very talented person. He's very smart. He has a great memory. He uh, has the ability to take complex ideas and express them in a simple way. Uh, he has the ability to kind of cut to the issue, cut to the quick, cut to the point that really matters. Uh, he has it, he is also a quick study. He can absorb a lot of information and spit it back out in a coherent way, in a coherent analysis pretty quickly. Um, and I think the the thing that I also appreciate with Ted and that I think he appreciated from my perspective is creativity is an important part of any job. Your ability to take sort of a complex set of uh, facts and figures and issues and package them in a way that makes sense is a creative process at the end of the day. It, you know, you have basic knowledge and you take that basic knowledge and you package it and put it together in a way that makes sense for the facts and the situation you're given. So, you know, even though uh, the science of claims becomes the art of storytelling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. And we had a we had a long term employee that worked for us who said, you know, that's what that's what claims analysis is. It's it's finding this right story and telling that story the right way. And you know, it's more analytical than that at the end of the day. But it it's true. You got to find what's important and focus on that important thing, and then be able to articulate to people why it's important and why it matters and how it answers. The question. Yeah. Um, you fell in love with the work. What made you fall in love with the company besides being the owner? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, big for construction consulting firms, but it's small in the overall scheme of corporate, the corporate America, you know, uh, uh, a big engineering firm might have a thousand employees. Well, we don't have anywhere near a thousand employees. Uh, and it's nice to come into the work every day and kind of know everybody that's there. Um, it's also nice because the nature of this work is that uh, we have work all over the country. Yeah, there's generally not enough work for a, a claims consultant in any one city or even any one region. So uh, I travel, I get to see a lot of places. I've been to all 50 states. I've been to every state capital. I mean, I've been to a lot of places and seen a lot of things. And I like that. I think that's fun. Um, and I've worked on many different kinds of projects, you know, private projects and government projects and, you know, everything in between and lots of different industries. And I think that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, you're not I work on three or four different projects a day, usually. Um, I like the variety. I think that's good too. Uh, so I think if 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 someone were to ask me what I loved about the job, I love that part of it. But I also tell my kids, and I think this is true of myself as well, you sort of love what you're good at sometimes. You know what I mean? In other words, you you gravitate to things that you can do well. So it, you know, everybody has to think about what their superpower is. And, you know, like my superpower is writing. I, I'm, I'm a good writer. At least I think I am. And uh, other people have told me I am. And, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But the bottom line is I can take 
sort of a complex engineering thought and idea, and I can articulate it in a way that people understand and they don't, you know, it, it, it flows for them. It makes sense. So I'm an engineer, but my superpower is writing kind of, yeah, it's a communicate, communicating complex. Yeah, right. I, I get that disconnect at the end of the day. So I think, you know, that be a, the ability to sort of combine things is useful. It's useful. It's it's good to be able to do that. So for somebody that might be listening that isn't completely in an industry, maybe they're in a nuclear sub right now trying to figure out what do they want to do. Talk to us about what what it is specifically that goes on in in a construction consulting or a construction claims uh, consulting type engagement. Sure, exactly. and, and maybe even talk to us about what an ideal engagement looks like from your perspective. Like, who's calling you? When are they calling you? Why are they calling you? Right. So usually the person that's calling me is a person in trouble. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is they have a contractor on a project or they're working on a project as a contractor and they have an owner who disagrees with them. And the dis- nature of the disagreement is, hey, I think there's a problem on this project and I as the contractor think I should be paid more money. And if I was the owner, I would say, well, no, I told you all about that problem and I don't think I need to pay you any more money or alternatively, there's no problem. Um, so my job really is to understand what that issue is, and then figure out who really is responsible, how that issue impacts the project, and how much it's worth. So I, I, you know, my buckets for those are entitlement, impact, and cost. So my job is to figure out who caused the problem, well, if there is a problem, and who caused it, how it affects or who or who owns it because right. somebody might not have caused it but they own it and contractually exactly it's, right it's, it's whose whose risk is it yeah. to- who owns that risk exactly right uh, how did this issue impact the project how did it delay the project how did it cause the contract's work to be inefficient how did it uh, add effort to the project that would have otherwise had to be an expended and then by extension how much does that cost and that's our assignment and then through that. Typically, either the owner or the contractor is hoping that they're paying you to help facilitate a conversation so that it doesn't go to to right. courts or to legal. Very often, I end up writing an expert report, or I might put together a PowerPoint presentation that's presented at a mediation. And you know, my you know, from an economic perspective, for me, it might be better if the thing went to trial because then I would build a maximum <laughs> number of hours to it, but that's not really the best situation for my client. My client doesn't necessarily do best because it went to trial. I think in the best of all possible worlds for my client, my analysis would be viewed as correct and persuasive and the parties would be able to resolve their differences on the basis of my conclusion. So, you know, when I'm able to help my client uh, and, and the folks on the project resolve their dispute short of litigation, I feel like that's a success. So that's the win. Right. That's the win. Because that's a win for my client. That's a win for, you know, everybody that's involved. And at the end of the day, going to trial isn't really any fun. It's not. It's that nobody wins except for the lawyers. Right. And well, the consultants do okay from a <laughs> yeah. perspective, but they don't. It's not. 
You didn't solve the actual nice problem. Live. You know yeah. what I mean? If if I fell in love with my job, the part I didn't fell in love with was the testifying part. I mean, you got to do it. But yeah, um, I tell my kids, you know, you, you every job has a reason you're getting paid to do it. And that's one of the reasons you get paid to be a construction consultant is you might have to testify. Yeah. So for our construction managers out there, if you haven't learned this day one of the job, because I did, it got beaten to my head day one as a, as a you know deputy resident engineer for the Corps of Engineers, write everything down, track everything, and settle everything at the lowest level possible. Because as it escalates up, it slows everything down and gets more expensive. So better for you to like win the little fights back and forth in the field and keep things moving than to allow projects to go, you know, escalate. All those things in in my seminars and, and, you know, for example, you know, I I say, write it down, but I keep in mind, if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. So (laughs) that's right. If it's important for you to, for someone to know what happened, then you got to write it down because uh, you're not going to remember it for goodness sake. So for all my junior employees that listen, I, I beat into everybody. He who controls the meeting minutes controls the project. Well, there's <laughs> meeting minutes matter. No, meeting minutes absolutely matter. And I think the other thing about meeting minutes that I find sort of remarkable is that, you know, things get identified as being issues in meeting minutes and nobody does anything. Uh, you know, it just goes from week to week to month to month and year to year and problems that should have been resolved the day they happened are resolved like way, way, way down. I'm going to go into that because, because this is, this is my perspective of why. And, and I have this overarching, like you've got egos and you got maybe a lack of leadership or a lack of facilitation or a lack of something leader ish going on, on that project that, you know, Somebody's afraid to step up and say, like, are we going to keep this, you know, delaying things or are we going to solve this problem? And right. it's easier to, like, walk out of the meeting and let's not have any conflict. Like, no, don't let the conflict sit on the paper and or in the meeting minutes for six months and then go to, a you know, escalate to a conflict. Deal with it when it's fresh and when people can actually work through it. I, I the the individual will not be named, but I was on a call yesterday and he's talking to me about a project issue, asking me for some perspective on solving the problem. He's basically like, there's these two courses of action, but we can't, we haven't solved it for six months. Like, what do I do? Like, well, somebody has to, somebody owns the bag on it. Right. So or somebody just, has to have a gun to their head or it's not an issue. Right. Right. It's Somebody's going to own it. I mean, it, it has to be owned. I mean, at the end of the day, somebody will take ownership and it, I think the other thing that I see a little bit is is I see issues, the full history, you know, uh, an issue from the day that it starts all the way out if it goes to trial to how it gets resolved in a trial. So kind of know when you go to court what it's going to look like at the other end, you know? Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many cases have settled basically on the courtroom steps. In other words, before you go to trial. And the reason for that is when you get to the courtroom steps, everybody's done the preparation they need to do. Everybody's studied the law and they know the law and everybody has studied the facts and know the facts and everybody knows how their witnesses are going to perform. So if you know the law and you know the facts and you know how the witnesses are going to perform, you know how the court's going to decide the case. So there's no reason to do the trial. 
So, you know, the idea for me is, and and I think for my clients, and I, I hope for the attorneys that I work with and for, that uh, they recognize that getting those difficult questions answered is really important. Sometimes I think some of these issues kind of drag on a little bit because they just don't, they don't really know the real answer. You know, there's some piece of information that they're not digging for or they haven't gotten that they need, you know, like, for example, uh, I've been involved with projects where the contractor thinks they're entitled to reimbursement for unabsorbed home office overhead because some consultant told them someplace that you get that in a delay claim. And the owner has read that you should never pay unabsorbed home office overhead because contractors will always walk away from that damage. Well, they're both wrong. You know, they're both wrong. You're not always entitled to unabsorbed home office overhead. And it is sometimes true that the contractor insists on being paid that money. So you, you, you've got to know the, that part of it well enough to make the right decision. You don't want to go to the mat for a stupid reason. You know, you certainly don't want to go to mat and be wrong. Well, I guess that's the the other point of the like the issues that drag on. There's some little nuance that you know. Again, I, I it comes down to communication yep. at the end of the day, and right. like escalate that communication to get a decision as quickly as possible, and then you can get into organizational dynamics of how as issues get escalated, and nobody wants to make that call because nobody wants to hold the bag on you know making the wrong decision. Uh, uh, people dynamics and construction projects. That's, yeah, that's there is. There's a lot of people dynamics. And uh, I, I think at the end of the day, though, one of the processes that I'm more involved with these days than I have been in the past, I think because it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's new, but it's it's certainly being used a little bit more extensively than I had realized. And it's they call it evaluative mediation. And basically what happens is, is the mediator is definitely trying to get the parties closer. But one of the ways the mediator is getting the parties closer is by sharing the mediator's reaction to a particular factor analysis. And the first time I ever saw this, uh, the, the contractor's representative in the media got up in the mediation and went first. And uh, the mediator, after like four sentences, butt in and said, you know, I'm not seeing that. I, I don't. I don't understand how you're getting that conclusion. Where is that coming from? And the guy said, well, let me get to it. Well, why don't you get to that right now then? So we did. And actually, it was BS. It was not the strongest part of his argument. I knew it. But so did the mediator. And the mediator let him know that it wasn't. And then he looked at me and he said, and you're not buying this, are you? Like, I'm not. No, I'm not buying this. And you're not going to give him any money for based on that argument, right? No, not one lead nickel. It's a loser. So what the mediator was able to do is get the parties to start seeing the strong arguments and the weak arguments and giving the parties a chance to develop those arguments so that they could persuade or not persuade the other party. Because a lot of times these big cases, I mean, this was a this was a hundred million dollar claim. I mean, it was going to be resolved in two days, but most mediations are only two days. It took us two years, but. We went through every single issue and we ultimately were able to sort out who is responsible for what. And I think everybody walked away very satisfied with the way that turned out. Uh, so it, it, it's a process that I have 
you know, a lot of confidence in. It, it, it got us to the right answer in a way that didn't destroy the relationships. Um, switching gears, maybe a little bit, maybe not. Uh, I like, I like teasing out kind of leadership lessons learned and, and you do two things. You lead cases or project in, engagements, but you also lead the firm as an owner. Right. Uh, any lessons learned you want to share on balancing those two roles? Uh, and, and, you know, what's worked for you? What, what, you know, what lessons have you learned? Yeah, well, you know, we, we call ourselves working principles here. We don't have like an administrative head of the company. The people that do the work also administer the company. Um, and, and that is a little bit of a task in the sense that you're kind of dividing your responsibilities between those two things. I, I think the, 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 the I, I guess the leadership tip that or the leadership thing that's most important to me is it's very difficult to lead unless you're willing to live the life of those that you're leading. Meaning you, you've got to be able to uh, explain to them why they have to do the things they have to do. They have to understand why it's necessary. They have to appreciate why, you know, trials coming up and honestly, you probably won't be able to go on vacation that weekend. You know, but you have, they have to understand the process. They have to understand that why that's true. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, sometimes people feel a little bit like, um, oh, I don't know, like you can in the military very often. You know, you're just a victim. <laughs> you're just a victim. Well, I think people have to understand that they do, they, that they're not victims and that this is the nature of the business. You know, this is how this works. And there are, there are some necessary evils associated with what we do. Like I said, there's a reason you get paid for what you do. <laughs> um, and, but you got to understand what those are. And, you know, part of it is making sure people appreciate what it is they're getting themselves into when they take on a job like this. You know, they, yeah. you, don't, you don't want someone to be surprised. Surprise is a bad thing on construction projects. It's a bad thing in the claims process. And it's a bad thing when you're an employee in a firm. Surprises are bad. Usually, unless it's a good surprise, like a raise or a big bonus or something. Like that. <laughs> Other than that, surprises are bad generally. Yeah. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. Uh, switching gears, some rapid fire-ish questions. Um, any must-read books outside of your own, of course. You know, that's funny. The book that I have used the most often lately is Blink. I don't know mm. if you read that book. Malcolm no, Gladwell. Uh, yeah. And it's absolutely correct. There is no question that part of expertise is the ability to look at something and in an instant know what it is. You know, you don't have to go out and do months and months and months of research. You, you know when you see it what it is. Now, you know, you have to verify that judgment. But it is true that after you've done something like me for, you know, 35 or 40 years, there's an awful lot of things that I can look at and say, well, that's the answer. 
I, I need to articulate it better at the end of the right. day. To you still need the details to, to strengthen the argument right. or to, yeah. But I know the answer. Right. So I, I really do think that that's uh, uh, an, a really important insight. Um, and it doesn't mean the Blink guy is always right, but it does mean that you're in a bad situation if the Blink reaction is not what you're saying, you know? It means you gotta you gotta really drill down and find out what's going on. Um, I, I, I like that recommendation. So that's a great book, and I will also say that I was in a meeting one time. This was four or five years ago, and I made reference to that book, and my client loved that book and loved me as a result. So <laughs> it turned out great that's, in that respect too. That, that's a good one. That's that's a good uh, anecdote there. Yeah. Um, Current events, or or you know anything outside of the office that you're passionate about or involved in, um, or or are you too busy traveling and doing construction? No, clients? no. I, I think at the end of the day, the other thing that's kind of important to success in life is making sure not only that you're doing something you're good at, but that you're doing something in an in an industry where you find you're interested in the, like, I love building. I love architecture. I love civil engineering. I love to go see dams. I loved going up the Eiffel tower. I love, you know, all that stuff really interesting to me. So when I'm not, you know, doing client consulting, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of an architecture buff and will my wife and I will travel to parts of the world or the country and check out things that, you know, uh, we've always wanted to see basically because of what they are. Like we went to Barcelona to see Gaudi buildings, you know, or we go to Glasgow to see Macintosh buildings. So that would be sort of a passion outside, but it's definitely related to what I do every day. I mean, I, I love buildings. Um, yeah. It improves your craft. I think that I read something on this. I'll, I'll see if I can find that to put in the show notes. There was an article on, on how, uh, years ago, and I'm talking maybe centuries ago, your craft and your hobbies were so tied to it, one another um, that like it was just your life. Right, uh, right, exactly. But there was there was like the downtime that you were improving your craft, but you were getting, you know, but yeah, it's, yeah that's it's an interesting like, perspective. Just something a little bit kind of connected to that, that sort of is that, so if I love architecture, why am I not an architect? I'm not an artist. I would have been a terrible architect. Terrible. So it's it's good to know yourself and know good at. That's what I mean. You know, you got to find that superpower. Job. Right. You got to find that job where your superpower fits with the job. And you know, uh, that to me, claims consulting is just a good fit for me. Um, so finding that good fit is hard sometimes, but it's. Sometimes it's just, you know, casting around until you find the right thing, you know, and willing to wait, you know, or being able to wait, I guess. Maybe that's another part of it, too. Yeah. Uh, favorite quotes? Uh, no question. The secret to good writing is rewriting. That's a great quote. And you know what? It's absolutely true. Uh, it, no doubt. Uh, that's uh, Mario Puzo. He wrote The Godfather. He's. We don't usually quote him for other things, but that he's right <laughs> on. He's right on. Uh, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? 
sounds like you'd be looking at some architecture. Well, you know, you would, but uh, like, you know, the most famous architect in the United States is Frank Lloyd Wright. And he, every biography I've read of him, he sounds like a complete, well, ass. And I, I'm not sure I'd want to hang around with him. I think what I would find most interesting is being given some insight into things I wouldn't otherwise be able to see. Like, I've always thought it'd be great to sit down with a president and be able to convince them to tell me about all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that you never get to see or hear about, you know, what I would call the real history, you know, what's right. really happening out there. <laughs> what did you really say to Gorbachev? You know, what, what, what really happened? I, I think that would be interesting to me. So you know, I would love to have dinner with three presidents, you know, I pick three Clinton, Bush and Reagan or something like that. It would be, I think that would be really interesting. All right. I, I like it. Um, kind of the last question. What do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> oh, I, I, I think that at the end of the day, uh, I want someone to say, uh, you know, it looks like he had a good life. You know, I had a good life or it was a good life or something along those lines. I, I did hear a joke one time about that. Uh, where it was like, uh, what's the biggest change that ever happened in your life? And, and, and the, and the person who was being asked the question said, Oh, that's easy. This was a woman who was turning a hundred. She said, that's easy. Uh, designated hitter. And I'm like, that's the funniest line I ever heard in my whole life, you know, but, uh, she was a baseball fan. I'm not really a baseball fan. So it didn't fit me very well. Got it. Uh, and then to close us out, I mean, you've, you've been in the industry since early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you would share with kind of junior employees, junior junior engineers coming up or, or to the industry in general, uh, kind of the sage wisdom of the ages? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the, 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 the thing that really shows forth when you get involved in any situation is clearly someone's done their homework. You know, in other words, you, 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 you build a project twice, you plan the project and then you build the project. Right. And if someone has done that, you can really tell that they've done it because they know what they're talking about. They, they come into a meeting with questions with, with, um, with a plan knowing what it is that needs to be done, that preparation goes a long way. And, you know, what I I think uh, folks that work for me, I hope appreciate and what I certainly recognize when I get in a meeting with somebody else is somebody who came to the meeting, having prepared for the meeting and understand what's going on. And these days with stuff on Zoom and all that kind of thing, it's really easy just to show up. Uh. And maybe some things don't merit, they're not valuable enough to really invest a lot in. But the important stuff, you really need to show up with a plan. You really need to have done your homework. You really need to come into the room and be in a position to talk about what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, what questions you have, what other different. In, in other words, you need to know what you're going to do and have a, a direction. And people will appreciate that. They'll- the secret to writing is rewriting. That's exactly that's right. the preparation, right? I there think that go. goes that goes well with it, that that advice. We um, we had an offer to work for us, by the way, just for a little bit, 
And one of the, 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 one of his sayings was that, uh, writing is thinking, which I never really fully appreciated, but it's true. It's, it's, it's also completely true that if you can write it down in a coherent way, you've thought through it. Uh, I agree a hundred percent with that. I've got a whiteboard over there. That's, that's what I think. And I only think by writing it down and trying to connect the dots. Um, that's good. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Appreciate what you do at Troner. Uh, where can people connect with you if they have a construction claim question? Well, you know, we have a website, but they can, I think, you know, I do this in every time I speak is I tell people, look, I'm really like this stuff. I'm kind of nuts <laughs> that way. I'm really into claims and claims analysis and projects and project problems. And I tell them, just get hold of me. So nowadays, probably the best way to get hold of me is I've always got my phone, so you can always email me anywhere I am. And I usually respond immediately. So what's that? Uh, Scott.low, L-O-W-E, at Troner Consulting. You can look it up, T-R-A-U-N-E-R, consulting.com. And uh, first, first email is free? First email is free. And actually, you'll be surprised. That's exactly how it works. In other words, <laughs> I, I, I must have a thousand emails from people that I have either heard me talk or have been in a seminar I've given or something like that. And they sent me a quick question or a question. And we've gotten this conversation going. And you know, not always can I help them because not always is it on point with what I know or don't know, but at least I can point them in the right direction. So, um, and if they have an interesting problem, I mean, I, I love interesting problems. They're just, you know, they're fun. Awesome. Well, Scott Lowe, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us uh, and, and appreciate what you do. My pleasure. And thank you so much too. This has been very enjoyable. You got it. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.